Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to It Never Gets Old. This is a firsthand account of all things secondhand and sustainable. It's a podcast about the explosion, proliferation of the secondhand vintage consignment resale market, and thus also sustainable fashion, what it means for your wallet, what it means for the planet. I am your host, Meredith Feynman, and my bestie in the Westie, Sarah Lane, will be editing this. But I am joined by my friend, investor, all-around great person, soon-to-be author, prolific consignment shopper, Susan McPherson. Hi, Susan. Hello, Meredith. I am so excited to be here. This is very exciting. We're sitting in a tiny black box in New York City being recorded, and it feels very official, and you're my first official interview, so that's really exciting. We've been friends for long time now. I'm trying to remember when I first met you. 10 years. Probably 10 years, yeah. yeah. And you do so many amazing, great things that I will let you introduce yourself and your work. And then we can sort of get into uh, what you do in and around sustainability and obviously some secondhand shopping. Sure. Well, I actually feel kind of secondhand at this point because I'm so (laughs) old. (laughs) No, but you know, when you've been around a while, you kind of start to feel like I don't want to say leftover, because that has a negative connotation, but we love leftovers. Um, But yes, I'm Susan McPherson. I am the founder and CEO of a sustainability, corporate responsibility, social impact consulting firm called McPherson Strategies. Um, We're heading into our seventh year. I live with my darling rescue pup in Brooklyn, Heights, um, right near New York City, for those of you who are not from these parts. And I started loving uh, secondhand shopping, or secondhand, should I call it secondhand? Yes, Um, so I've talked a lot about how the industry needs to catch up yes. lingo-wise. Yeah. Like, we haven't totally figured it out. But yes, I think secondhand is a great umbrella catch-all. I mean, I've heard gently used, um, but I have been a fan since I moved to New York City in 2003 from Seattle. Um, well, before we get into all of your yes. faves, tell me a little bit, and definitely I want listeners to understand a little bit more, like what does co- corporate social oh, responsibility God. mean? Of course. What do you do? Congratulations on seven years. Like what is that? Sure. Thank ha- you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, everybody has a different definition of corporate responsibility, but I look at it as companies doing what they can to uh, be less harmful to the planet, actually be proactively positive to the planet, treat its people, its 
its employees, its partners, the communities with which it operates with utmost respect and care, and give back. Um, that's a very kind of rudimentary way to describe uh, an industry that actually has taken off in the last 20 years as you've had this just explosion of social media where consumers can be directly interacting with companies and sharing their opinions. Um, but also the realization um, a little late in my um, opinion, but that climate change is reality. Um, it's going to affect all of our lives um, and our children's lives. In our grandchildren's lives. And so companies have responsibilities in the sense that we don't have unlimited resources on this planet. Um, so with that said, and then lastly, the advent of millennials and Gen Z that want to find purpose when they look for their employment or where they are going to – however they're going to be making money um, when they finish college or take their gap years or what have you. When you combine all of that, you have led to this outpouring of business starting to be you know, better uh, better participants in our global, global lives. Um, and we've also lost faith in political leaders and government. So long story short, we help advise companies on how they communicate their social good. And that means communicating to the press. That means communicating to shareholders, to their employees, to whoever they are targeting. So why did you decide to go that route? What were you doing before? Like what um, made you passionate about this? Nine lives. But even as a young child, I was always, you know, the kid with the lemonade stand raising money for causes. My late mother worked for public television. And when I was a kid and you have a, a family member who, who worked in, in television and, and certainly print journalism, but I would say to her, mom, why don't you work for ABC or CBS? You'd make so much more money because, you know, when you're a little kid, you don't, you don't understand what public television is. But then, of course, Sesame Street started, and that made all the difference in the world. But she just said, because it's important and it's good for, for all of us. And my dad was a professor. So I kind of had service in my blood from the get-go. And also, you know, in my 20s, to actually meet people when I lived in various places, I would get involved in nonprofits as a way to meet people who had similar values, that cared about the world, cared about people, cared about positive change. And because of that, any company that I worked for, I became the de facto person where somebody would say, you know, the head of HR would say, Susan, who should we fund this year? What, what gala should we be buying a table at? And so little by little, it became really um, versed in, in who I was. And then in 2005, I went to Afghanistan with an organization I was involved in called the Business Council for Peace. And it was actually the first time I saw business being a force for good. Um, business leaders were galvanizing their networks and connections to actually help women entrepreneurs in Afghanistan, Rwanda, El Salvador. So by going there, I actually saw it. And from that day on, I was committed. And what what part does sustainability uh, sure. play in your business and in like what you think about and read about? And I'm sure you've seen it. Like, how has that changed in corporate social responsibility? I'd assume like that is oh. the thing of the moment. It is. I mean, but then again, you also have issues like refugee and immigration reform. You have, you know, this brands wanting to step up and stand for something. You know, you have brands that stepped up around LGBTQ. So, yes, sustainability is a core ethos and it's probably the longest component 
that we've seen since, you know, the 40s, 30s, companies wanted to protect themselves from government intervention. So they started reporting on their environmental sustainability. Fast forward to today where, you know, we have a, a climate that's melting. I mean, I hate to be so... No, it's exactly. fucking melting. <laughs> Thank you. You can swear on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but the the notion is that companies know that they have been participating mm-hmm. and and actually adding to yeah. carbon. And I, I'm not talking just the, you know, uh, the, the travel industry. I mean, airplanes. I'm talking about apparel, mm-hmm. um, which mm-hmm. is actually super um, wasteful, yeah, wasteful, but also think of the water that gets used. Labor. Uh, yeah, everything. So so sustainability is definitely uh, not only at the core of what we do. However, it's very much at the core of the ethos of corporate responsibility. Where, where our little firm kind of um, comes into play is we help advise the messaging around it so that it's authentic, so that it is baked into who the company is and that there's no greenwashing or pinkwashing to be. What is greenwashing? Greenwashing is when you really aren't making change, positive change, but you use things like a press release or an advertisement to showcase maybe one particular thing. It, it started because you had companies that would buy an ad on television saying they were completely environmental and then cause the um, BP oil spill. And uh, pinkwashing, just since I mentioned that, is when everybody jumps on the breast cancer bandwagon when in actuality their products may be causing, you know, may be causing harm to to our health. So I talk a lot about On It Never Gets Old. Like I got into sustainability by way of secondhand fashion. Like that mm-hmm. was my sort mm-hmm. of foray into this world. Which is fantastic. Thank you. One we love thing, having you here. Thank you. <laughs> uh, one thing that I'm seeing a lot of, particularly fashion brands, but also big companies are talking about carbon offsets. Can you explain that a little bit? Sure. And it's very confusing. And there's many schools of thought. Um, carbon offsets it can be done in two ways. Companies would look for a way to fund a project somewhere in the world, whether it's planting trees or um, funding coral reef development or ocean cleanups in to basically offset any kind of negative that they're doing, okay? So you can look at it two ways. One, what about just stopping doing the negative or replacing the fuels that they're using with renewables instead of, you know, like shifting, right? Um, Because then, you know, you run into an issue of, well, maybe that really isn't helping. But on the same token, they're doing something. And I never want to shame a company that is actually trying. Mm -hmm. The other challenge with carbon offsets is oftentimes companies will put them on their customers to do, right? Mm -hmm. You fly and then they say, well, you donate, right, in lieu of your. And so it's like, who are we shifting the problem to? Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I think that and I spoke about this on EcoChic, which is a different podcast. Like I take issue a lot. I mean, I care about metal straws and all those sorts of things. But honestly, I feel like it's very much up to the big players and not the individuals to help solve these issues. And I think that you know, well, we need everybody. Yeah, you know, including yeah. government. Yeah. I mean, we're at a of course a strange time right now. But I agree with you. Um, when Marriott decided to stop serving straws, um, or you know, handing out straws, I you know shared it on social media, and I had somebody who who um, wrote a very biting piece to back to me, stating, "Susan, that's just you know th- that's just a drop in the bucket." And I beg to differ because when you think about the hundreds of thousands of 
Marriott, you know, hotels and and uh, franchises. Um, not to mention every customer that will then learn. You know, you're 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 having a sea change basically. Mm-hmm. And if every other hotel chain steps up, mm-hmm. then we're going to see a difference. So I don't I don't look at that, and I think that addresses exactly what you stated about the big players mm-hmm. stepping up. Uh, switching gears a little bit, yes. I want to talk to you. You just came back from Antarctica. Uh, talk about like the real epicenter of a lot of climate and sustainability efforts. Uh, tell me about Antarctica. Well, if any of your listeners have have thought about going and you know not started to really put put that dream into reality, I would say step up your game. I two reasons I went. One, well, lots of reasons. It's it's an incredibly beautiful place, but. Two, I was fearful that if I waited much longer, it would have me- it will, will melt. And three, uh, I think you know, I uh, my late mother collected penguins in the seventies before penguins were cool, and well, like penguin objects. Yes, and before not mo- actual penguins. No, 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 no. That would have probably been a trouble in suburbia, upstate New York. Um, I don't know how happy they would have been. Although we had a lot more snow back then. Well, like East Ventura, like at the beginning, <laughs> raise the penguins in the freezer, and they yeah. come sliding out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and how many have not seen March of the Penguins? Yes. But um, so you know, it was a it was a dream, you know, my whole life to go to go see them in reality, um, and they did not disappoint. But I will say the you know I have so many thoughts and feelings, and I, I don't want to bore your listeners, but I will say I have never been in a place where there was ultimate silence. Mm. I mean, I've been to some remote parts of this planet, you know, like far from any human bodies, but somehow there was still noise and to be there in the middle of the southern ocean and all you hear is the calving of of icebergs or of course when you when you go ashore onto these various islands the the humming or the honking or the purring of different penguin species is like nothing else i've ever experienced in my life and, as you stay warm when you were there well it's their summer and it's also warmer there like everywhere else. Um, You know, living here in New York City, you know, 20 years ago, there used to be snow in the winter for more than just a day and then it disappears. I mean, back, it was 35 to 40 degrees every day. Wow. And that's like what it is right now. Yeah. And there are signs of climate issues. The uh, humpback whales and penguins all survive eating krill, which are like miniature shrimp. And, you know, there's billions and billions of krill. However, with warming waters, um, there's a rise of another uh, creature which assembles uh, resembles tiny jellyfish, and they're called selfs. Well, what's happening is is the krill's dying off in the warming waters, and the penguins and humpback whales and other whales are eating these selfs, and they have no nutritional value. Mm. So they are watching the populations carefully, and they if this continues, they're you're definitely going to see impact on these species which is so very if sad. you're you know listening and loving penguins and and uh, ice ice caps uh what are what's something that we can do if anything everything that right now the most important thing is vote um mm, yep. at least in the united states if you have international um pay attention to your your local elections your state le- elections choose wisely with your pocketbook you know i mean we're secondhand shopping i mean Everybody, you know, we have the information out there to know how to be doing better. Less plastic, less single servings, you know, be mindful and and talk to our children who probably know more than we do. Mm -hmm. So what are some of your favorite action items? And we'll get into the fashion ones, but uh, that you tell people, you know, to be 
greener in your life. And and I I, I think there's this this pressure to be perfect and be zero yeah. waste yeah. and all that stuff. Like what are some small things that sure. we can do today that you always tell people? Carpool. Public transportation, mm. um, a push for public transportation to be, you know, again, this is back about being involved in civic, you, you know, your municipal world. Um, we tend to think our voice doesn't matter. Our voice matters today more than ever. Again, you know, stop taking, you know, th- 20 napkins when you're at a pizza parlor. I mean, it sounds ridiculous. No, but, no. I but mean, it's I like we, it's, we it's, need to be more mindful. Yeah. Um, when you are at a work, you know, at your company. Go and talk to your 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 corporate responsibility person and say, how can I be helping the company? If you are a small business, think about the the purchasing you do and who you purchase from. Mm-hmm. You know, Walmart. Uh, we have you know many of us have a love hate relationship with Walmart, but ten years ago, Walmart put down a law basically and stated that if their suppliers didn't reduce their packaging, reduce their carbon costs, their their fuel consumption, they would no longer carry their products. So I think companies can be mindful. So it's not you don't have to do it all, okay? And I'm I'm the biggest believer in baby steps. And and you know, again, we're not living at a time when there's not a plethora of of resources at our disposal. Mm -hmm. So just do one thing every day. And what's something that people don't think about that's an easy – I mean, none of it's easy. It all has to be conscious. But like is there something that – LED lighting. Okay. See, I would never have thought of that. Okay. Um, Next time you need a light bulb, go to your hardware store and buy the most sustainable light bulb that you can. Okay. It may have a different shade of light. It may not be this. And what are they called? Like what are they? Just the LED lighting. LED lighting. Yep. Okay. And your hardware person. I almost. I was about to say your hardware guy, but your <laughs> hardware gal, yes. or what have you, can can advise you. You know, based on the the wattage that you need to be able to read. But that is one thing. Turn your. You know, I I go back. You know, I grew up in the Carter era. Put on a sweater rather than turning up <laughs> yeah. the heat. I mean, these are things we don't even think about, but we have the luxury to have that knob or, you know, the, the most thermostat. People, thermostat. Yeah. Well, you know, in the summer, open your windows, okay? Put on a fan. You don't need to be running the, your air conditioning at max. Um, and tell your companies to turn their AC down or their heat down. Do you ever walk in in the winter to a, an office and it's like 100 degrees? Yeah. And that's yeah. not just my menopause. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I you know, it's like when you're sweating and it's January, yeah. you know, something's wrong. So a huge part of who you are, I would say, is like Susan McPherson. When I think of Susan McPherson, is like the ultimate people person, connector, always running around. We were just together at TED Women, running around. Everyone knows you. So you're known, you know, very widely as someone who connects people. And you have a book that you're writing yes. about that. You want to tell me a little yes. bit about it? Yes, yes, yes. The book is coming out at uh, McGraw Hill, March of 2021. We'll mark uh, our calendar. Yeah, which is International Women's Month, which is a good month for it to drop. And the book is called The Lost Art of Connecting. And it essentially, um, it's a business book. So it's uh, 10 very prescriptive chapters of how we can actually be more connected in real life, in human life. And not to harken back to the days of yore, but, you know, how do we build these long-lasting relationships that span the test of time, that are regardless of, you know, numbers of followers? It's more, you know, who are the people that show up and who are the people that continue to show up? And also, 
how do you, you know, when you walk into a big room and you're immediately intimidated and to quote our dear friend Maura, Aaron's Melee, you know, want to hide in the bathroom, how do you pivot or, or change your mindset? And one of the things I have done for years is instead of walking into a room full of, of you know, whatever, powerful people, instead of thinking, what can you get? Think about what you can offer. And when you walk into a room with that mindset, it gives you confidence because everyone has something to offer. Every single person. I don't care who you are. You have something to give. And by walking up and starting to talk to people and instead of going down this path of, you know, you know, what do you do? Who do you, say, how can I be of help? And unless they are the most evil person on earth, chances are they'll, they'll engage in a dialogue and a very lovely dialogue at that. And they'll remember you. Mm. That's great. I mean, everyone who knows Susan is lucky to know Susan McPherson. So so let's get into fashion. Uh, when did you start secondhand shopping and why? Um, I really, um, I moved to New York City when I was 38 and going through a divorce and just starting over. And five of my friends came to stay with me in my tiny little studio apartment because they <laughs> wanted me to have a, oh my goodness, I'm trying to remember the funny uh, the 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 chick filled weekend that we had. I mean, it was like they took me shopping, and they they were like, "You have to get out of these matronly clothes." And I quickly found out, obviously, how expensive everything was in New York City. I mean, Seattle wasn't inexpensive by any stretch of the imagination, but New York was, you know. And oh, they wanted me to get hoochie mama clothing, <laughs> and I, of course, being this, you know, I don't know, I whatever. I'm not. I mean, I'm certainly not conservative, but maybe you know, I'd been married for twelve years, and you know, I was like a suburban blah blah. <laughs> and they were like, no, no, no. So we went to all these stores, and we finally found, and I'm forgetting the name of it, but it was in Soho. Does it still uh, exist? I don't think so, okay. but it was an amazing secondhand store, and. And that was like the place that I went for the next three years. It was on Prince Street. And it it just – it became like it's the most exciting thing because every time you'd go in there, there'd be new things. Um, now, it's challenging because I'm very tiny and sometimes Would people – mind telling our audience how tall you are? Well, my license says I'm five foot. Oh, okay. 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 So, so you're a petite, petite woman. Petite. And I definitely want to get some tips because I am 5'7", and so I have no idea about petite clothing. Yes. So definitely fill us all in. Well, I will say, you know, there's an assumption that when you're tiny, oh, that means there's tons. But the average American woman is not tiny. Um, you know, I, I think we've seen with, you know, weight and, uh, and, and health issues, the weight has – has increased and and it's very hard to look at sizes and actually understand like mm -hmm. an eight could be well we talk about that all the time that right. like i mean there's a tons of sizes bullshit out there every mm -hmm. designer is a different size yep. one thing that really sucks about vintage or you know high-end designer consignment is it can run really small and leave a lot of people out which is bullshit yeah. um so it's funny a lot of people would look at you and be like you're tiny oh you can fit in anything right but this is where a seamstress can be your best friend mm -hmm. Because I have to get almost everything shortened. And, you know, it, 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 but back to, I mean, so from 2006 on, I was sold. Like, I, I have loved to go to them. Some of the most beautiful items I own and, and the items I'm most proud of 
come from um, consignment. And um, you know the my favorite store, which is um, Consignment Brooklyn. Um, and where is that? That's on Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn Heights, um, Borum Hill. Um, but they are available online, um, formerly known as Eva's Consignment. But Eva's still very much in the picture, women founded. And I can't even believe the <laughs> brands you have. I'm wearing a, an equipment dress right now that I got from them. But I uh, was able to get a stunning Oscar de la Renta dress oh, yeah, I've seen that this one. fall for $250. Now, I will say it was difficult breathing when I tried it on, <laughs> but it was so unbelievably beautiful that I found an amazing tailor thanks to our thanks to Meredith and I had a teeny bit let out so at least I could sigh without yeah. the whole dress exploding. So what are some tips yeah. Yeah. for uh, secondhand shopping as a petite person? Perfect. Um, first of all, again, you can always get things shortened. Um, second of all, you know, again, you may go into the store and there might be nothing, but if you go a week later, there may be more. So you can't get really disappointed. The other thing is talk to the people who actually run the business because they can keep you posted when certain things come in. And, you know, again, it's it's you never know if you don't go in and try things on. And I have literally looked at dresses in, on the rack and been like, no way, no way, that's too long. And then I try it on and it actually, with the right pair of boots or the right pair of shoes, looks fabulous. What are some brands that have worked really well for you? Um, Sophie Tialette. Love her, I mean, clothes, and she's the real deal when it comes to sustainability. Mm. Um, they're, you know, they don't, she doesn't sell fast fashion. Of course, that Oscar dress is amazing. Um, I've been able to get several, um, uh, what are they, the, you know, with the red on the bottom. Oh my gosh. Louboutins? Yeah. Yes. I've <laughs> um, been able to get several of those. Wait, and what several... size shoe are you? I'm a five and a half. Oh, you bitch. No, but... The... but so it's funny because I always feel like five and a half is the best size to be. They're like all the teeny gray shoes left. Is that not true? No, well, first of all, Bloomingdale stopped selling five and a half. Mm. Okay. For years, the only place I could get like first hand shoes was Nordstrom. Oh, interesting. Because everybody stopped because there just oh. weren't five and a half yeah, anymore. Yeah. So, but when you go to consignment stores and you look on Real Real, for instance, the majority of the shoes are eight, nine, that's what and I seven. am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have more choice. Mm. Um, but again, I always let them know, like, if you get five and a half, so let me know. But I will say, Jimmy Choo's, I've gotten a lot, and they just they last forever. And I'm just like running through my closet. Do you um, buy petite sizing, or you buy no, regular? No, I buy regular sizing. And I think this is an opportunity. I mean, for firsthand brands, for years, petite clothing tended to be matronly. I don't know what they figured, but they figured if you're short, you must be boring and dull and, you know, done with dating or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> no, no petite yeah. hoochie mama clothing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, I just think also it's like you don't know what you don't know. And I have walked in and seen brands that I never even like would have been a thacoon. I have a thacoon dress. I could never afford. Mm -hmm. Nor would I even go into, say, Bergdorf's and try on a thacoon yeah. because it's like oh, come on, you know, I'm yeah. a working woman. I can't, yeah. you know. Um, but then to be able to have that. And, and as soon as you put on a dress or an item made by these, these top-notch um, designers, it feels different. Mm -hmm. And you feel different mm -hmm. in it. Um, so where else are you shopping in New York besides Consignment Brooklyn for secondhand? Um, well, I do sometimes go into Real Real. Mm -hmm. um, There's a store here. There's yes. A store in, the, the Real Real has stores in New York and Los Angeles, and I'm sure they're expanding. I've heard rumors they're coming to D.C., but it hasn't been. Here. Okay, okay. And then, I, you know, it's so sad. I don't know the names of them. That's okay. I'll, I'll pull them out of you, and we'll put them in the show notes. Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> but what's your favorite secondhand piece you've maybe ever gotten? I have to say that Oscar de la Renta. Yeah, we'll, we'll post a picture of you. In that. I, I have never felt prettier in my entire life. Aww. And believe me, I looked a heck of a lot better 10 or 15 no, years ago. No, you look gorgeous and perfect. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so where are you buying secondhand online, if anywhere? Or you feel like you have to try it all on? I, I, that is my challenge. I have <laughs> to try it on. Um, I... Um, I have bought secondhand online for shoes because if they are, you know, there's certain designers that I know the five and a half will fit. I've bought scarves. I just okay. bought a, a lepici le on um, on eBay. And believe it or not, you can find some really good things on eBay. Oh, yeah. eBay is great. I'm yep. not as familiar, but they're, I mean, it's the original. Yeah. Um, so have you sold your clothing at all? I have. I take my clothes to um, Consignment Brooklyn. And they do it for you. They do it. Um, they've turned down some things because mm-hmm. there was a stitch miss- missing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they're very impeccable. Um, but I guess that's good because mm-hmm. it's good as a buyer. Yeah. And it's always fun because then I can use that money to buy more clothes. Exactly. That's what I talk about, recycling that. <laughs> um, so where do you take the stuff they don't take? Or you give it to friends? You donate it? I donate it. Uh, or so I you give don't it sell to it online? Okay. No. And um, I, you know... It, it, I tend I tend to have this this when people come to my home they always leave with something and it's because when you live in a New York City apartment, you just don't have a lot of extra room. And it sounds like I'm regifting, but actually, you know. Oh, we're very pro regifting. It's funny. I think one of our <laughs> most popular episodes was about gifting oh, and regifting. It. And sort of, I think that people are so cool with secondhand now yeah, that it doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah. Regift away as long as you're not giving the gift back that someone sure. gave you, which is. A bad thing. Yeah, that, that would be awful. Um, and my, you know, when my nieces were younger, now they're both taller than me, so they can't really fit in my clothes anymore. But my sister and I go back, like, we'll share things and and because she's, she's tiny like me. But, well, this has been such a pleasure, Susan. Well, I just want to say I am so proud of you. Thank you. And I am so excited for your new book. It's true. Brag Better is out May 19th, 2020. Uh, you can pre-order it anywhere you pre-order books. And I will definitely be expanding more upon that. But where do we find you, Susan? And what do you want to plug? Um, you can find me at mcpherson It's McP Strategies. On Instagram and Twitter, I'm Susan McP1. And I'm often seen with a fluffy white dog in Brooklyn Heights who has one blue eye. And people nickname her Norm on Cheers because she has to kiss everyone. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Susan. You can find us online at ingopodcast.com. We are on the social meds, uh, Instagram and Twitter at ingopodcast. Send us an email, hello at ingopodcast.com. And we'll talk to you soon.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 